The Linguophiles. Well, good day to you all, and welcome to this very British episode of The Linguophiles. Those of you who listened to the last episode will know that I received a letter from my good friend Arabella Merriweather. Well, it turns out she was inviting me to have tea with her in her quite enormous country pile in Herefordshire. And I've just arrived. What a splendid estate. Ah, the door's open. I'm in the drawing room, darling. Just follow the disembodied voice. Coming! Now, last episode had quite the continental flair, so I thought we'd focus more on Britain today. Arabella Merriweather is an old friend of mine from university. She had a reputation for being an English rose, and if anyone's going to showcase Britain and England, it's her. The word England, by the way, comes from the old English word England, meaning land of the Angles, the people who settled in Great Britain in the Middle Ages. And an English rose is used to describe a very lovely English lady, the rose being an emblem of England since the War of the Roses, lasting from 1455 to 85. So called because it was a civil war between the royal houses of Lancaster, whose symbol was a red rose, and York, whose symbol was a white rose. And as we're on the topic of England and Britain, one thing should be cleared up. The full name of this country is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Great Britain being the name for the island on which the countries of Scotland, Wales and England lie. The whole of Ireland, North and South, is a British Isle, but only Northern Ireland is part of the UK, hence the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Ah, this must be the drawing room, which is actually a shortening of withdrawing room, a term from the 16th century where one could withdraw for some privacy. It's basically an old-style living room for entertaining guests. My dear! Ah, there you are! What an absolute treat! Indeed it is. Oh, Arabella, is this what I think it is? Have you put on high tea? Goodness, no. No? Afternoon tea, not high tea. Oh, is there a difference? Yes. High tea was traditionally a meal served in households of the working man. So called high because it was eaten at a table whereas the guests of afternoon tea sit on lower sofas and chairs, like we're about to do. High tea often included savoury elements, as it was more of a meal after work. Conversely, afternoon tea was served in wealthier households as a bridge between luncheon and the evening meal, at which only sweet elements were offered. I say evening meal, as it's now called tea, dinner or supper, depending on which region of the United Kingdom you're in. Supper originally being a light meal before bed, dinner being the main evening meal. But the tea we're having was invented by Anna, Duchess of Bedford in 1840, who got a little peckish in the afternoon. Is she perhaps the best person in all of history? Perhaps. Now, shall I be mother? Oh, yes, please. Did you hear what Arabella just said? She said, shall I be mother? This is a very twee phrase that means, shall I be the one who pours the tea? The reference to mother is a reflection of the fact that it was usually the mother who poured the tea in households in Britain. 
Oh, and by the way, the word twee actually comes from the pronunciation of the word sweet in baby talk, which is how grown adults sometimes speak to children. Oh, coochie coochie, you're so twee. Oh, for goodness sake. Indeed. So twee became the word to describe saccharine, dainty, or corny things, like the phrase, shall I be mother? And saccharine comes from the Latin word saccharum, meaning sugar. Sweet. Mmm, I love a cup of twee. I mean, tea. Yes. The word T bears the same name as our letter T that comes before U and after S. But the letters of the alphabet have nothing to do with the drink. No, our word T, T-E-A, comes from its place of origin, which is China. The word for tea in the dialect of Min Chinese is something like Te. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but the spelling in English is rendered T-E-H. This word was spread to Europe by the Dutch who traded in the aromatic leaves. Ever heard of the Dutch East India Company? So in English, this Min Chinese word became tea, and in French, te, Spanish, te, and German, te. All makes sense. However, in Mandarin, another dialect of Chinese, the symbol for tea is pronounced differently. To any Chinese speakers, apologies for butchering the language, but this word is more precisely pronounced with a rising inflection or tone, something like sha. Inflection is extremely important in Chinese, along with a good number of other languages like Cantonese, Vietnamese, and Thai. If, for instance, you were to say that word with a level tone, cha, it would mean to insert, and if any of you have listened to the first episode of The Linguophiles, you'll understand why I really must take note of that one. And with a downward inflection, sha, it can mean something like ability or to be missing, all rather different. Let me try to say them all so you can hear them consecutively. Sha, sha, sha. Very confusing for speakers of Western languages to grasp. How should I explain this? Milk? Oh, perfect, Arabella. What? So think about this. If I say milk in English with a downward inflection, it seems like I'm just identifying an object. And if I say it with an upward inflection, milk, it sounds like I'm offering it to someone or that I'm unsure of the identification of that object. Just extend this shift of mood to a complete shift of meaning. Anyway, I digress. We were talking about tea. So, this word, sha, in Chinese, is where our word, cha, comes from. As in, fancy a cup of cha? Please. Sorry, Arabella, but one must be inclusive. What? No, of course. I just thought you were offering me a cup of cha. I've already finished mine. Oh, sorry, of course. I'll be mother this time. So, as I was saying, it's also what we think gave rise to the word chai found in Middle Eastern and South Asian languages. Ah, tea. What would we be without it? Although one can't mention tea without talking about its sister drink, coffee. The etymology is disputed, but it's thought that its name is also due to its provenance, from kaffa in Ethiopia. Kaffa, coffee. Of course, the word caffeine comes from the same source. Oh, and the provenance of the word provenance is Latin provenire, meaning to come from. Logical enough. This tea is exquisite, by the way. What is it? 
Earl Grey. Ah, named after Charles Grey, a British Prime Minister from the 1830s who was presented with tea flavoured with bergamot oil, a kind of bitter orange or sweet lemon depending on how you look at it. Yes, from the Italian word bergamotto. Indeed, itself coming from the Turkish bey armudu, meaning prince of pears. Oh, this etymology is making me rather hungry. Can I offer you a borderless double stratum of leavened wheat, brushed lightly with salted, agitated full cream, gleefully protecting light slivers of organic cucumis sativus? Oh, wait, you mean a cucumber sandwich with no crusts? Yes. Thank you. Cucumber sandwiches became popular in the Edwardian era, when the availability of coal meant that cucumbers could be grown in heated beds throughout the year. And apparently our reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, likes them very much. Yes. Sandwich. Such an English word. It supposedly came from John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. He was a hungry English aristocrat from the 1700s who once ordered meat served between two slices of bread. The sandwich, or more commonly pronounced as sandwich. Mmm, oh, that's delicious. Mm. Now, what do we have here? A slice of Victoria sponge, perhaps? Or a Scotch egg? Or maybe a crumpet with some butter and marmalade? So much to say. Victoria sponge is very simply named after Queen Victoria, who liked a sponge cake sandwiched together, no less, with a layer of jam in the middle. Nowadays, you can find cream in it too. And the Scotch egg, if not invented, was certainly popularised by the upmarket English department store Fortnum & Mason. There are many theories as to why they're called Scotch, but none of these has anything to do with Scotland, interestingly. Either it was because the Scotch Guard, stationed in Wellington outside of London, had a penchant for them, or maybe because they were invented by William J. Scott & Sons in Yorkshire. A penchant, by the way, is French for leaning or inclination. You have a leaning towards a specific thing, from Latin pendere, meaning to hang. Think pendulum. Oh, what a beautiful grandfather clock! Apparently these tall timepieces get their name from a popular song from 1876 called My Grandfather's Clock. Really? Oh! Goodness, Arabella, you have such rounded diphthongs. Excuse me? What? Oh, no, no, no. A diphthong is a double vowel sound. Oh. Your O comprises two very distinct vowels, O and O. It's a lovely example of what we'd call a version of heightened RP. RP standing for received pronunciation, as the theory is that one isn't born into this accent, so it has to be received via education. I say O, oh, using a slightly different diphthong, and in London they might say O, oh, and in a standard American accent it's more O. Oh. Ow. Oh. And a monophthong means just one vowel sound, like a or a. These words come from the Greek phthongos, meaning sound, and mono and di, meaning one and two respectively. So, monophthong, one sound, diphthong, two sounds. And you, Arabella, have lovely rounded diphthongs. I always thought so. Crumpet. Ooh, how lovely. With marmalade, please. Mmm. 
I love a crumpet with butter and marmalade. Crumpet is possibly from either the Welsh krempog, meaning pancake, or from the English crumpet cake, meaning curled or crumpled. And marmalade is originally a Greek word, melimelon, meaning sweet apple, and referred to quinces. The meli part of it means honey, and is still used in other languages today. French, miel, Spanish, miel. Italian, miele. Bravissima! And the English honey comes from Proto-Germanic hunaga and is connected to the Middle Welsh word kanakorn, meaning golden, which makes sense. The German word is honig. But back to those Greek quinces. The Greeks discovered that if you heated quinces with honey, they'd set in a sort of thick paste when cool. The Portuguese word for quince is marmel, from the Greek, and it was they who exported this quince paste to the UK, where it became popular possibly as early as the 1500s. A recipe for marmalette of oranges was available in the late 1600s, and contrary to Scotch eggs, it is indeed the Scottish who are credited with developing this thick paste into a spread. Whence our modern marmalade comes. Oh, whence, by the way, means from where. So if you ever hear anyone say from whence, you can likely correct them by softly but firmly demanding that they remove the superfluous from, as whence already carries that meaning. So saying from whence is essentially from from where. Oh, and the lovely word superfluous is from the Latin meaning overflow. But yes, marmalade. To be distinguished from jam, as it's made with the peel of fruits, rather than the flesh itself. Oh, is that why we don't have strawberry marmalade or apple marmalade? Apple marmalade? How preposterous! Most ridiculous thing I've ever heard! Well, not if we take the old meaning of apple, which just used to refer to fruit in general. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, well... Did you know that the Latin word pomum, where the French get their word for apple, pom, from, was also used as a catch-all term for fruit? Yes. Okay, okay. But did you know that in Latin there was a word that meant specifically apple, which was malum, taken from the Greek word melon that we saw before in melimelon, honey apple, for quince? Also, that malum means evil in Latin, which is just a total coincidence, but may explain why the apple was seen as the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden that Eve ate, but is silly because it's just the Greek word for apple, and the Bible wasn't even originally written in Latin anyway, so there! <laughs> <clears throat> we are not amused. Wow. Going very royal there, Arabella. No, the musicians and I are not amused. It's all right, chaps. He's finished that ridiculous display. Oh, I thought you were using the pluralis majestalis, royal we, to refer to yourself. Don't be silly. One isn't that posh. Anyway, while you're recovering, did you know that the word pom used to be attached to pomme d'orange in French that meant orange. Originally from Arabic narange, it made its way through to Europe via Persian, where a linguistic phenomenon known as... Juncture loss. <sighs> yes, juncture loss occurred, which is a process whereby words are reformed into a different set of individual parts, so that the narange would have been une norange in French, which was quite possibly mistaken for une orange. The original N of the narange 
being lost in the French indefinite article. Hence, our English, orange. And the Spanish have retained the N in their word for it, naranja, probably because their indefinite article in this case ends in an A, so juncture loss was less likely to occur. Indeed. And interestingly, those countries around the Mediterranean that sourced their oranges from Portuguese merchants used the word Portuguese in their words for it, like portocali in Greek, portocal in Albanian, or portocale in Romanian. Yet others referring to its eastern origins calling them China apples, like the German apfelsine, Dutch apelsin, or the Swedish apelsin. And some Slavic languages use a similar root as the French version, like the Polish pomaranchove and Ukrainian pomaranchevi. Goodness, all this talk of healthy fruit. We're here to indulge. How about some chocolate? Do you have any chocolate? I can certainly offer you a rich buttered wheat brittle crowned with cacao to plunge into your warm emulsion of Camellia sinensis and bovine lactose. Wait, wait, let me work this one out. Uh, chocolate digestive dunked in builder's tea. Yes. Arabella, you dunk? In private, of course. You devil, me too. It's delicious. And I love the name Camellia sinensis. It's the species of plants whose leaves we use to make tea. It's funny how we went from Camellia sinensis to a cup of char, which we spoke about earlier. And what do I mean when I say builder's tea? Well, very simply, it's the traditional break-time drink of manual labourers and builders, and just means a strong cuppa, often with sugar, which is needed if you're building a house, I imagine. So, we can ask for a cup of builder's tea when we want a nice strong cup of tea. No Earl Grey, etc., just your regular builders. And if any listeners haven't had a nice strong cup of builder's tea with milk and dunked a chocolate digestive into it, I urge you to try it. And what's a chocolate digestive, you say? Oh, now hold on. The chocolate digestive, so-called because it was invented to help digestion, was created in 1839 by Scottish doctors. It seems the Scots invented everything but the Scotch egg. Doesn't it? But yes, to help digestion, with a base of wheat flour, salt, sugar, malt extract and oil. And the one covered in a thin layer of chocolate, the chocolate digestive, is Britain's number one biscuit for dunking. I love a chocky bicky. Mm, I love anything with chocolate on it. Oh, and how could I forget? Chocolate. Why is it called chocolate? Well, it comes from the Nahuatl, a language of one of the native peoples of Mexico. The word was originally chocolatl or cacahuatl. The atl bit means water, as chocolate was originally a drink and not solid. In fact, it was only made into a solid substance with added sugar and milk in 1847 by the British company J.S. Fry & Sons. <coughs> Lady Grey! What? No, we're talking about chocolate now. No, this is my cat, Lady Grey. Say hello to Alexi Wexy, my little coochie-coo. Now who's being twee? Oh, do shut up and have one of these. Oh yes, I shall. Lady Grey, by the way, apart from being the name of Arabella's pet cat, is a tea flavoured with bergamot, like Earl Grey, but with extra orange and lemon peel. It's a modern invention by the British tea company Twinings, and really has nothing to do with Earl Grey's wife. But anyway, Arabella just offered me a scone, the soft, bready baked good one slathers with thick, clotted cream and jam. Mmm, scone. Or is it pronounced scone? 
Well, firstly, let's talk about the etymology. Oh, yes. My little Lady Grey's a very beautiful girl, isn't she? <clears throat> the origins of the word are actually a mystery. It could come from the Scots Gaelic word scon, meaning mouthful, or maybe from the Dutch schoonbrot, meaning clean bread, that resembled what we know as a drop scone today. And the modern pronunciation differs largely depending on which part of the UK you live in. Scone seems to be more prominent in the Midlands and Northern Ireland, with the north of England, Scotland and southern England preferring scone. In fact, the debate has even inspired poetry. Listen to this anonymously written piece. I asked the maid in dulcet tone to order me a buttered scone. The silly girl has been and gone and ordered me a buttered scone. Scone. Well, we know what Arabella calls them. No, no. Lady Grey's gone. She got fed up with all the etymology. Oh. Well, I suppose she's not the target demographic. Demographic being from Greek. Demos meaning people, graphia meaning description of. But yes, scone or scone. It's a bit like the pain chocolat chocolatine divide in France that we discussed in episode 5. And on the scone slash scone, does one place the cream or jam first? Well, if you're in Devon, it's cream first. In Cornwall, it's jam. Of course, it's up to you. I personally treat the cream like butter, the layer of fat to hold the sweet jam above it, whereas some think of the cream as a topping to a dessert-like treat. Or if you're my mother, it's butter, then jam, and then cream. She knows how to have a good time, my mother. The cream tea is a speciality of Devon and Cornwall, and usually comprises scones, yes, that's how I pronounce it, and cups of tea. And the cream that one spreads onto scones, in whichever order, is clotted cream, a super dense, super delicious cream usually associated with the southwest of England. And if you've never tried it, for God's sake, try it. I'm sure there's a mountain of other things to try, but I am absolutely stuffed. I could offer you an infusion of menta piperita leaves steeped in a lightly simmering aqua, perhaps? A herbal mint tea? Yes. Herbal teas are otherwise known as tisans, from the Greek word for barley, tisane, as it was a drink originally made from the grain. And by the way, all teas are infusions, as you infuse the leaves in hot water. But I shall have a herbal tea. Thank you, Arabella. And thank you for an absolutely delicious high... Uh, I mean, afternoon tea. I'll have to go on a ten-mile run to burn all that off. Couldn't you have removed all the calories? A low-calorie afternoon tea? An oxymoron, I know. Excuse me? From Greek oxy, meaning sharp, and moros, meaning dull, a word to describe a contradiction in terms, like the idea of a low-calorie afternoon tea. The word oxymoron is also an oxymoron, actually, as it's comprised of two opposites, sharp and dull, so it's known as an autological word, because it has the same quality that it describes. And yes, our word moron does come from the same root. Well, I'm afraid one can't have one's cake and eat it too. Ah, uh, what a phrase. The word have in this sense referring to eating it. So it means that you can't eat your cake and yet somehow still have it intact. You can't expect to have it both ways. 
like I can't expect to eat an entire afternoon tea and not ingest thousands of calories. But at least they were worth it. Thank you, Arabella. A pleasure, dear friend. Lady Grey and I are always here to entertain. Do you mind if I just recline for a while? I think I need to digest. Certainly, take your time. Maybe have another chalky bicky if you get peckish. I'll just go and get your mint tea. Stop it. She's a cruel lady. Anyway, before I slip into a post-tea slumber, thanks for listening to this culinary British adventure with lashings of buttery sweetness, tweenus and camellia sinensis. And don't forget to share and subscribe. And do join us next time for what will be the penultimate episode of The Lingua Files. Until then, happy eating. <laughs>